Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In our message series on the book of Revelation, we've been looking at how a faithful reading of the book begins with viewing it like we do other books within the Bible. So that means that while it's true that Revelation is apocalyptic writing, that it unveils something that was hidden and it's full of imagery and symbols, what's also true is that we begin by looking at it as we do other scriptures. We look at it and we ask, who is this written to and why? Uh, we look at what it says to its original listeners and the broader audience in the culture of that time. Uh, we look at what it says to the church and the broader audience now in the here and now. And we also look at what it says to us personally. So that whole picture is what we do with all of scripture. And so revelation is not different uh, in that aspect. We still use that same pattern in looking at it. What we don't want to do is use Revelation as a code book that has to be broken to reveal future dates, times, names, and events. Uh, we really don't do that with other books of the Bible, and so we don't want to treat Revelation as something weird or completely otherly in light of Scripture. Yes, there's absolutely things that are yet to happen, and Revelation points to those and gives understanding as to what is going to unfold, but we're not looking for names of nations. We're not looking for dates. We're, we're looking for an understanding of what types of things are going to unfold. So instead, we look at the symbols, we look at the images in Revelation, and we put them in context of the rest of the Bible, and that greatly increases our understanding of what it is that it's saying for, to us today. So we use the book of Daniel, we use Ezekiel, we use Isaiah and so many other Old Testament scriptures and some of the New Testament teachings that Jesus spoke and, and led the disciples in. We use those and we look at Revelation in light of what's already happened. For instance, uh, Babylon, when you see Babylon used in scripture, and it is used throughout scripture, uh, to reference human ways of ruling and how people make a name for themselves. And so in that way, the systems of this world are Babylon, and they contrast to God's rule and reign. So yes, Babylon is actually Babylon in the Bible, but it's also Sodom. Sodom is Babylon. Egypt is Babylon. Rome is Babylon. Move the clock forward. And we could also say Madrid, Spain was Babylon, Paris, France, London, England, St. Petersburg, Russia, Beijing, China, and yes, even Washington, D.C. are all Babylons from a scriptural point of view. There's, these are human ways and structures, uh, systems that people use to rule other people with. So instead of reading Revelation and trying to figure out which one nation is going to be Babylon in the last days, the truth is, you and I already know. It's human systems of rule and the way that people reign and they take advantage of one another. And this is all in contrast to God's kingdom and the way that he rules and reigns. And so in Revelation, Babylon, in the end, what it does, it comes to an end. Babylon is put under the foot of Jesus Christ and the fullness of the kingdom steps in and we see how the kingdom rules and reigns as Babylon is put down. 
Well, today in our message, uh, it's going to be largely uh, a reading of Scripture. Now, we're going to be looking at Jesus' letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor. So um, we're going to go through and just read all of those seven letters. Now, some take the approach that these letters are moments or seasons in the church in the church's history. Uh, this view is what's called a dispensational view. So there's different dispensations of the life of the church that have occurred throughout time. And so people read it through that lens. Well, this first reading, this church that Jesus is addressing isn't actually a church, or maybe it was a church, but it's actually talking about a number of years of the church or a time within the church. Um, I, I simply want to read them for what they were saying to the actual churches that they were written to. Uh, all the seven churches actually existed at the time that uh, John was taking notes and, and sharing his vision and Jesus was speaking to the churches at that time. And then we'll identify a couple of ways that it applies now. So let's pray and then we'll turn to Revelation 2 and look at what Jesus has to say to the seven churches. Lord, thank you that your word is active, uh, that it's speaking. It has uh, relevance for those who heard it, and it has relevance for us in the here and now. And so, Lord, I just thank you that um, we don't have to try to figure it out and do all kinds of spiritual and mental gymnastics to figure out what your word is saying. Uh, you make it clear to us. You make it straightforward so that we can know you uh, more fully, Jesus, that we can see you in all of your glory and that your word can has, have application to your church uh, both then, uh, throughout history, and now, and in the future as well. We thank you for it. Amen. Well, I'll read each letter and then I'll have a couple points that I'll make about it and then go right back into the next letter. And uh, in that way, the bulk of the teaching is going to just be what the letter has to say to us, uh, except for just a couple notes that I'll mention in reference to what's spoken. I really truly believe that the scripture speaks to us. Uh, it, it sometimes helps to have some clarity from a teacher and, and uh, add more nuance to it. But in these letters, it's really clear uh, in many ways, what Jesus is saying, and, and the Spirit will speak to us as we read his word. Revelation 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear the, with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, Ephesus, uh, in terms of the location of the town, uh, was closest to the island of Patmos, which is where 
John is writing this and, and writing down this vision from, and it's going to be sent to the churches. So it really makes sense that John begins with Ephesus, because as the letter goes forward to get dispersed to the churches, it would have naturally gone to Ephesus first from Patmos. But also it makes sense because Ephesus was the largest of the com communities uh, in, in that Asia Minor region. And so Jesus addresses them and tells them that they have lost their first love. This is the problem, Jesus says. I know that you've done all of these things, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, uh, that you have uh, found that they are not. You found them to be false. And so he said, those are good things. Uh, you don't like the teachings of the Nicolaitans, and I, I like that as well. He says, but listen, you've stopped doing the things that you did at the first. Uh, you, you have uh, stopped being in love with me. And, and this is interesting because earlier on when Paul addressed the church in Ephesus, he actually made a point that they lacked discernment. He told them, hey, you need to sharpen up and start being more discerning with your leaders. You need to start dis be discerning when it comes to the teachings that are coming into the church. And so Paul addresses this some couple decades before, and apparently they took it to heart. Now Ephesus says, listen, you're doing a good job. Jesus points to them and says, you're, you're discerning who are apostles and who are not. This is good. But somewhere in the process, they stopped living out their first love. And I wonder if that's maybe a bit of an outgrowth of starting to become overly critical and discerning while there's positive in that, that they've advanced that, but they've also maybe become hardened in their approach. And that discernment edge has been such a focus that they've stopped living out their love for Christ. So the encouragement that Jesus gives is, you need to come back to your first love. You need to repent. You need to soften your heart again. Don't stop being discerning, but soften your heart and return back to your first love. We read to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, Smyrna is one of only two churches, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia, they're the only two that don't receive correction uh, and a point of rebuke from Jesus. Uh, but they're also the only two churches that are going through persecution and hardship in, in this way. And so both Smyrna and Philadelphia were facing persecution. And so Jesus comes and gives them admonishment and encouragement. The reference to the synagogue of Satan, it's really not an actual synagogue. It is a way that they would use, Jews would talk. It was kind of an intra-Jewish communication method of saying, listen, you're not even a legitimate synagogue. 
your synagogue isn't of God, it's of Satan. In fact, you remember they would call out Jesus, the teachers would say his father was Beelzebub, right? He was Satan, you're not the child of God. It was just kind of a, a slang or a way of saying you're not legitimate. And so Jesus is calling out a synagogue. Most likely what had happened is the synagogue was creating some of that persecution and they had thrown out the Christians. And so it was no longer, and Jesus is saying, that's not my synagogue. That's not the synagogue of God. It's the synagogue of Satan. And he's calling it out. So they were not allowed to fellowship there anymore. And so in that way, Christians were singled out among their community as heretical or false. And they faced persecution, not only from the Jews then, but also from the Romans for what would have been viewed at that time, false teaching. And they would have been out there on their own. What Jesus points to is he says, overcoming, being faithful even in the face of death. So he says, some of you are going to be arrested and thrown in prison for 10 days. And the 10 days really was more of a holding time. Most likely execution was coming to them. Uh, charges would be brought and then uh, that they would face death. And what Jesus promises is the crown of life. He says, listen, if you will hold on, even in the midst of this persecution, you're going to receive the crown of life. Prison and death is temporary but Jesus holds eternal life. And so he encourages them to be faithful even unto death. The letter to Pergamum, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, to the church in Pergamum, uh, they existed within a community. There's a lot of idolatry taking place, uh, including the civil worship of the emperor. They had a large uh, place of worship towards the emperor. And so that could be what's referenced in terms of uh, that they're there in Satan's throne. It was a very visible place of, of worship uh, to the emperor. And, and he says, you hold fast to my name. Nonetheless, you're in this really um, idolatrous community uh, where you know, you're, you're pressured by civic religion of, of just worshiping the emperor. But he says, listen, you're holding on. And so you're to be admonished for that. You're, you're to be applauded for that. But he says, there's some among you. And he references Balaam of the Old Testament. Now, Balaam, what he did is he uh, wanted to curse God's people. And so he led the Israelite people astray. He actually told them something was okay that wasn't. And so he duped them or he uh, led them in a way that was going to cause God to curse them. And so that's what Jesus is pointing to. He says, listen, you have people there in the church that are approving of things and saying it's okay with God when it's not okay. Specifically, there's probably some issues of sexual immorality and, and some ways of living 
life in a very loose manner. They're, they're not paying attention to when, when uh, they're not paying attention to God's word. They're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit's leading. They're just living however they want, living in the moment, pleasing themselves. And Jesus is saying, listen, this is a problem. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm refining my people. They should be becoming more in my image, not in the image of the culture around them. And so he says, listen, um, what's, what's going to happen is these people are bringing condemnation upon the church. So you need to address these false teachers who are among you, who are causing people to sin and being led astray by living loose lives and not lives devoted uh, to me. So the answer is, he says, repent, <laughs> repent, and I will give you some of the hidden manna. And that just references the idea that there was some manna that was placed in the ark and that in heaven, when the ark is opened up, they would get that, that manna. So it's, it's this idea that you're going to get to receive from me uh, that eternal life if, if they correct this issue. Um, so the, the issue isn't, and let's be clear, the issue isn't about eating with sinners and tax collectors because Jesus did that. The question or the, what's at issue is, are they influencing you to becoming profane and becoming an image of the culture? Or are you as a follower of Christ influencing them to, to know God more clearly and become more in the image of Christ? And so this is what Jesus is addressing, not that they were in a culture that was very much profane and idolatrous, but they themselves were becoming profane and idolatrous and influenced by the culture. The letter to Thyatira, Revelation 2, 18 to 29, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the mind and heart. I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold, hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself has received authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, another Old Testament reference, and I've talked about this before. There are hundreds upon hundreds of Old Testament references throughout the book of Revelation, and that's the imagery that, that Jesus is using in order to draw people's understanding of what's happening in these times. And so he references Jezebel in the Old Testament, and Jezebel had her own prophets. And what they did is they said the things that she wanted. They didn't speak on behalf of God. They spoke on behalf of her. And so in that way, again, she led people astray. They didn't carry the voice of God. They just did whatever she wanted and allowed people and led people into sin. 
It's interesting that in this passage, Jesus says she calls herself a prophetess. And so it's this self-identification. And Jesus is saying, she's not my prophet. I didn't call her. Uh, and the adultery that she's leading people in is likely in spiritual nature. It, it could have been some physical, actual sexual immorality, but it points to more typically an adultery that is allowing people, tolerating this mixing up of faith in Christ with faith in the culture around them. And this is typical that we see throughout the Old Testament. And the book of Hosea talks a lot about this, where God calls out the Israelites and he says, listen, you're prostituting yourself. You, you've become a harlot by giving yourself to all these other gods and these other nations. And so Jesus, in speaking uh, to, uh, to the church in Thyatira, he's, he's using similar language. And he's saying, listen, you're following these, this teacher, these Jezebels, this person who is causing you to go into and just absorb the culture into the church. And he says, listen, it needs to be a pure bride. You need to be set apart for me. Within there, he says, some of you are holding on. And if you'll just hold on, Jesus says, I'm going to give you authority. In the midst of a culture where everyone does as they please in their own eyes, Jesus says, some of you are holding on to me. You're holding on to my teachings. And if you will just persevere, if you'll keep holding on and, and then, then the eternal life comes. I give you real authority and you're not going to, to be suffering uh, any longer. You're going to receive eternal life. And this is a critical message over and over to the churches. Hold on, persevere. There is a deep need for the church, the followers of Jesus to persevere and not just give in to whatever is going on around them. The letter to the church in Sardis, Revelation 3, 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will, know, you will not know what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now, Sardis is interesting because they had the largest synagogue in the Roman world. So archaeology has uncovered this synagogue, and apparently Christians were also tolerated. So there wasn't a lot of persecution in Sardis of the church. Their problem wasn't that they were being oppressed or driven out of the synagogue. Uh, in fact, uh, both Jews and uh, Christians were thriving, apparently, and allowed to grow and uh, practice their faith. However, the problem that came about was a passivity, that they had a spiritual sleepiness in Sardis. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus commends those who are facing persecution because they're holding on. And yet you have this church where they're allowed to thrive, and he says, what's happened is you've fallen asleep. Even though you could be thriving and, and pursuing me, you have fallen asleep. He says, you're dead. So Jesus tells him, he says, wake up. Like, start doing the things that you need to be doing. Wake up, church. And he uses this language and says, and I'm gonna, or I'm going to come like a thief in the night. 
And, and this really isn't language that's common. You won't find it in Jewish scriptures. This is more of Jesus's teaching. You know, in Jewish scriptures, they tend to think of the return of the king as a very loud, triumphant, um, uh, warfare-minded event. And so, but Jesus, you know, they wouldn't think of a thief in the night, but Jesus introduced this idea and says, listen, the day of the Lord is coming and some of you are going to be caught unaware. You're going to not be able to catch what's happening. You're going to be asleep. You're going to be just living life and not paying attention. And so Jesus speaks the, that same type of idea to the church in Sardis. He says, listen, some of you are sleepy and you're going to get caught off guard if you don't awaken yourself and begin to do the things uh, that, that I'm calling you to do. So in this moment, the promise is that if you're faithful, Jesus will confess your name before the Father in heaven. And so it's this promise that, that you know, you may, you may not be popular here on earth. Your name may get blotted out. And that was a way of saying you're erased uh, from your existence as erased here on earth. Uh, if your name gets blotted out, well, Jesus says, listen, don't worry about what happens with your name here on earth. If you're faithful to the end, I'll profess your name before the Father and it will never get blotted out. You'll have eternal life. We read the letter to Philadelphia again. That's the only other one besides Smyrna who does not get rebuked by Jesus. Revelation 3, 7 to 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast that what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, similar uh, to some of the other churches, um, you know, in this situation, Philadelphia, they were facing persecution and they were getting kicked out of the synagogue. So you see the same reference, uh, the synagogue of Satan. Um, they're, they're in this place in Philadelphia and everything that's going around, they are weak. Uh, they, they don't have strength. They don't have influence in their community. Uh, and so this is in contrast to Sardis, the church we just read about who had freedoms. Um, they had the ability to practice as they wanted. They weren't experiencing persecution. Uh, but Sardis was asleep. And in contrast to that, Philadelphia, it's weak. It's of little influence. But Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you authority. You lack authority in your community, but I'm going to give you authority. They're going to come and bow down before you. And a, a good reference point to this would be Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14. And it talks about when the nations would come, Israel was small and weak, but the other nations were going to be coming and bowing down before Israel. And so here in this picture, Jesus 
uh, speaks that same reference and he says, listen, you're weak and among your community, but I'm go they're going to come and they're going to bow down before you devoted Christians and they're going to recognize that I'm with you. And so the promise that Jesus makes, he says, I'm going to protect you from the hour of trial. And so this is just kind of the persecution that's coming. He's basically saying, listen, if you persevere with me, I'm going to see you through it. I'm going to help you walk through it. This really isn't referencing uh, what some might view as pre-tribulation. I'm going to take you out of tribulation. It's just saying I'm going to carry you through these, these hard times. Um, and if you endure, you're going to be part of my temple in heaven. Again, this is Isaiah 56, verse 5. It points to people who were on the outside, uh, Gentiles, uh, the eunuchs, those who weren't part of the, the included crowd, who are then identified in Isaiah 56.5 as pillars of ones who would be part of the temple. And Jesus uses the same idea. You've been put out of the synagogue. He says, well, the time is coming when you will be pillars in my temple, the, the temple that's coming down from heaven itself. Well, lastly, we come to the last letter, and it's to the church in Laodicea, Revelation 3, 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say... I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, again, this speaks to the community that Jesus is talking about, Laodicea, the community as a whole, not just the church. They were perceived, they viewed themselves as having it all together. Uh, the community was self-sufficient. It was a wealthy banking center under Domitian. A large earthquake, in fact, had hit the, that region around 60 AD, and the emperor had offered help to those communities to rebuild. And it was Laodicea who declined the help because they said, we have what we need. We're wealthy. We're, we're self-sufficient. Uh, they had their own athletic games. They had their own theater, uh, et cetera. They, they basically, they're, they're the ones just saying, listen, we're, we got it. Like, thanks, Rome. Uh, thank you, emperor. But we're rich. We're wealthy. We have what we need. And this had really crept into the church. They were saying to uh, themselves, and they had this self-sufficiency. They were saying, we're rich. And Jesus says, actually, you're naked and poor. And in fact, Jesus begins his conversation with them. He, said, he's, he in his essence, mocks an issue that existed within their community. Uh, it's they couldn't fix their water. This was a problem in Laodicea. Archaeological excavation revealed that they had heavy lime deposits 
in the pipes that were coming into Laodicea. They, they didn't have an adequate water system. And so it was a really weak spot in uh, the, the community of Laodicea. And Jesus points out to that from the beginning. He says, listen, uh, your water, it's not hot or cold. In other words, it's not refreshing. It's not good for a hot drink or cold and refreshing. It's lukewarm. And he says, literally, I throw it up. I spit it out. It's, it's just not refreshing. And he references that back to the church. He says, I'm, I'm using an image that you know because of your water system. This is how I feel about you, is that you're not refreshing to me. I don't want to receive you to myself. He said, instead, I want you to fix it. I want you to repent. Uh, and, and this is the encouraging thing that comes out of this, is that Jesus speaks these words, those I love, I reprove and discipline. He says, listen, if you can overcome your self-dependence, if you will humble yourself and be reliant on me, if you can get over your own pride and your self-sufficiency, listen to the promise. He says, I will lift you up then. If you will take the low spot and rely on me, I will lift you up and you'll be seated on my throne just as I was lifted up and allowed to sit on my heavenly father's throne. What a promise. Well, I realize in this message we've covered so much ground and there's a lot of scripture there, but I want you to see that the very things that the churches were dealing with there before even the first century had come up, the first hundred years of the church had, had been experienced. So many of those things are so applicable today that we don't have to use, you know, superimposed timelines and ideas about it. They're, they're just relevant to the church and at, at that time. And so what I'm asking is, what can I learn from what Jesus had to say to the churches at that time? What does he want to say to us, New Horizons, now from the letters that we just read? What does he want to say to you in this moment? Is he affirming you? Is he saying, hold on? I know it's been tough, but hold on. Is he correcting you? Is he saying, hey, wake up, wake up. You're getting sleepy and you're getting lax. It's time to wake up. Is he comforting you? Is he saying, I know you've struggled to make it. I know you're just holding on, but, but listen, if you've been faithful, I'm going to come soon. You're not, you're not going to languish in this time. I'm going to come to you soon. Overall, the encouragement for all of us is this. For the one who has an ear to hear, let us hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your word is so applicable and every one of us can hear something out of your letters to the church and what you wanted to say to your churches. Thank you that it's not uh, just a, a, a one size fits all, but that you know that we're, we're all in different places and your church has been at different place. And even now the church in China and, and regions of China is going through different things than what the church here in uh, Western Colorado is going through is different than what the church in Sub-Sahara Africa is going through and different than what the church in, in Russia, Lord, and on and on. You have something to say to your church in every place. And so may we receive it as your body. May I receive it as one of those who call you Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. We receive it and we ask you, Holy Spirit, now empower us to do what you would call us to do in response to hearing your word. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. 
If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.